Well, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here, and uh, I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be here with you guys. Welcome, Arkansas crew. Um, welcome, college students. Welcome, parents, um, Christians, non-Christians. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to dig in and get started, okay? Jesus, would you uh, help us this morning? Would we be able to see you for who you really are and see ourselves for who we are? Lord, would you uh, teach us and lead us into this knowledge that is, it can't be brought about by a mere man. Uh, Lord, it takes certainly a special person. It's the working of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that does this. And so, Lord, would you be with the ones who are encouraged? Would they leave even more encouraged? Be with the ones who are discouraged and who honestly, they didn't have it in them to show up, but because someone pestered them, they showed up. Um, Lord, encourage them. Lord, be with the ones who here who are just fulfilling an obligation and they're showing up and they're, they're skeptical, they're, they're searching, they're learning, they're investigating, um, but they're really not excited to be here. It's kind of weird. Uh, may, they may even be nervous. Lord, would you just put them at ease and, and let them see you? And Lord, help me present you in such a way that my soul is moved and the souls of these people in this room are moved by you. So Lord, help us as we dig into your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. There should be Bibles around you. Uh, if it's not your neighbors, then take that Bible that's near you and you can have it. Give it away to somebody. Read it. Um, put to your friend from you and pretend that you didn't get it for free from a church, okay? Um, John 21, we've been working our way 65 weeks through this narrative, this, you know, this record from a man named John who walked with Jesus. This is an eyewitness account of one of the disciples of Jesus. So we get to see how Jesus responded, acted, behaved, and worked while he was here walking on the dust of this earth that he created and he formed man from. Now he's here walking. And uh, so we find ourselves in John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection. So Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is buried three days later. He comes back to life miraculously. He appears to many different people, first with the reformed prostitute, Mary Magdalene, and then he appears to the disciples three different times. This is the third time that John lets us in on that he spent one-on-one, eleven-on-one with his disciples. This is the last time. And so here we had, he had just provided a miraculous catching of 153 fish. They've been fishing all night long. That's what we looked at last week. And Jesus tells them, set your nets on the other side. And they didn't say, well, we've done that before. You know, we've thought of that one. No, they said, okay, let's do it. We're so desperate, we'll try anything. And then they miraculously catch, after fishing for eight to ten hours, they catch 153 fish at once. Um, and they couldn't even pull it into their boat. They had to drag it to the shore. It was so full of large fish. And uh, so then as he's fixing them breakfast and eating with them, that's interesting to note. John wants you to know that he is alive, that Jesus wasn't a figment of their imagination. It wasn't a hallucination, and it's hard to have a hallucination in groups. Usually that's by yourself. And so it's, it's not this. He's eating. He's, he's with them. He's fishing, um, and he's hanging out with his men. And so he's preparing breakfast. And after breakfast, he pulls Peter aside, and that's where we find ourselves in the text this morning. So be blessed by the reading of God's word in John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Commentary from John here. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, to Simon Peter, follow me. This is God's word. So, this is the tail end of the last appearance to the disciples, the only the disciples that John lets us in on. Peter and his preaching of the gospel, which you can find in the beginning of the book of Acts, is the, Peter and his preaching are the two components that are central and key to the foundation of the church that Jesus was coming to form and create a people for his own possession from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation that would be around his throne forever and ever and ever, saying glory and honor and power and majesty and dominion forever and ever and ever are yours, that worship celebration that we get to all be a part of one day, those who are in Christ. Jesus started that group of people, particularly the church, with Peter and his preaching in the book of Acts. So here, knowing that this, would be, this man would be a key figure to the foundation of his church, He's restoring Peter. You see, Peter really messed up. You remember back in John 18 where he denies him three times. If you weren't around for that sermon, I'll read a little bit of the text here around John 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus. This was right after Jesus was arrested and he was being led away to be beaten, unjustly tried, beaten again, and hung on a cross. So at the at the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they take Jesus away. The disciples run in fear. But Simon Peter followed Jesus at a distance, and so did John. Since John was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So John went in and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door. She was like a gatekeeper and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You are also one of this man's disciples, aren't you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants of the officers had made a charcoal fire. It was cold. They were keeping heat around it. And Peter came and was staying warm around the fire with these men, some of the servants and the officers of the leaders. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, as they're circling around this fire, you also are are one of his disciples, right? He says, he denied it again and said, I'm not. I'm not a disciple of Jesus. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off in the garden, Malchus, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Weren't, essentially, weren't you the guy who cut off Malchus's ear? Peter again denied it. Essentially, I'm not a disciple. I do not know this man. Change the subject. Here in today's passage, Jesus is restoring. He's 
affirming Peter so that Peter could properly be used for the purposes of God in the building up of the church. Peter was asked three times how he related to Jesus back in John 18. And so here again, Jesus, this redemptive conversation, is asking Peter three times how he relates to Jesus, except this time, very different results. This threefold challenge from Jesus to Peter looks as if it were designed to parallel, to parallel the John 18 denial passage. And in this culture, in this setting, first century Rome in Israel, it was believed then in practice that you could legally be held to something by repeating it as an oath when you did it three times in a row. So to deny Jesus three times was to basically, in all essence in today's society, to sign a contract. I will sign and endorse and have it notarized that I am not a part of this man. Have nothing to do with him. And then here again you see Jesus reversing this and redeeming Peter. It's beautiful. All right, so let's look uh, in verse 15, work through this. And I've got, I've got something I think very encouraging for those who are in Christ, who are believers. And then something that's encouraging for those who are skeptics, who are unbelievers. Uh, I've got an encouraging word for you too. Um, so let's look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, there's a lot of pastoral things going on here. You know, a big takeaway is that Jesus is all about keeping the flock safe by putting pastors, elders, under shepherds over the flock. And so here you get to see from the very beginning, he's putting watchmen. He's putting shepherds over the flock of God. This should encourage you guys. This should encourage you to pray for your shepherds, for your pastors, for your elders as they submit to Jesus and try to lead the flock faithfully. Because you notice it's Jesus' flock. He doesn't say, handle your flock with care. No, no, no. He says, tend my sheep. Care for my sheep. Feed my sheep. They're they're mine. You just take care of them. Okay, so there's a lot of pastoral things that, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely important to point out. But for all of us together today, knowing that there's, there's, there's several pastors, several future pastors, but not all of us are pastors, I'm going to focus on something that I think is at the essence of this, and not just something we learn from, but the key of this passage. So do you love me more than these? This could certainly mean, do you love me more than fishing? All right, he just got finished. There's, there's equipment all around. There's, there's fishing gear everywhere. Do you love me more than your profession? Because the moment I left, well, I go, you went back to fishing. Now, remember, I called you from fishing to be a part of what I'm doing here. You're going back to fishing. Do you love me more than fishing? It could certainly be that. Absolutely. I'm not denying that at all. It could also mean, do you love me more than these men? These are your brothers. You've been working and fishing with these men, walking with these men for years. Do you love me more than you love these men? Again, certainly I think that applies. But what I think is that the essence of this is Jesus is saying, not in a comparative way, but he's asking Peter, do you love me more than these men love me? In other words, do you have a supreme devotion to me? Because as we move forward together, that's required. You've got to love me. You've got to have devotion for me. And we're going to unpack where that where we're prone to jump into this love with Christ because he first loves us. But that's, that's what's going on here in verse 15. Do you love me more than these other men love me? Do you have a supreme devotion to me? Verse 16, he said to him a second time, 
Same question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend, so the first one was feed, now this one's care for, tend my sheep. Let's go ahead and look at verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? The same question three times. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. He was getting asked the same question three times, and here this response is is a much stronger response than the first two. You see, he was being asked Jesus' questions here, these three questions, to move beyond a superficial answer, to go beneath the surface and look at the, the motivation for why Peter is following Jesus. He's addressing the specific issue of denying him three times. And he doesn't point and say, well, I love you more than these other disciples because you remember I was the one who said that it's going to be over my dead body that I ever deny you. Remember, I'm the one who, when you were walking on the water, I'm the one who showed supreme devotion and and jumped out like a fool into the water to be with you. You remember how in the garden, it was me who had your back, Jesus. These other disciples, they weren't there for you. I'm the one who was a, a swordsman. Right? He, didn't, he didn't point to those instances where he was trying to prove his devotion. Rather, in this moment with Jesus, he, he points to Jesus. He says, you're God. You know everything. It is your knowledge that I'm basing this on. You know my heart. You know my heart. You know that, yeah, I denied you, but you know my heart is for you. You know that I... That I feel bad about denying you. You know that I, I love you, and you know, and I know in my heart that you love me. This is what Peter was processing when he leaned into the sovereign knowledge of the omniscience of Jesus Christ, of his ability to know everything. You know all things, therefore you know my heart. Yes, I love you. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, when, when Peter, in this century, in this time, this was a cultural phrase, to stretch out your hands, he would not have heard that when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. He literally heard Jesus say, when you are old, you will be crucified. It's exactly culturally what was going on there. Peter, you've been able to go and do all that you've wanted to do up to this point, but now I'm telling you that you're going to be sent by me on my mission for my Father's glory and his purposes. That's what's going on here. Jesus says, follow me, be fully committed to my service and my purposes in your life. Reflecting back to Matthew 16, 24, and he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Peter would, in fact, die a similar death. He would, in fact, die being crucified. He served three decades with this prophetic word from Jesus over his head that you're going to be crucified one day. For three decades, Peter lived in obedience and repentance before the Lord with this promise of crucifixion over top of him. By the time that John wrote this gospel, Jesus' prediction had been fulfilled According to Clement of Rome in 96, Peter had suffered martyrdom under Nero. 
the cruel ruler of Rome. Rumor has it, tradition has it, that Peter refused to be crucified as a regular criminal, as Jesus was crucified. Uh, tradition has it that he was crucified upside down because he said, I can't even be crucified like Jesus was crucified. I, I don't deserve to be crucified that way. He's so far different than I am. So he was, in fact, correct about Peter's death. Now, that's the text. I want to hit, hit a word of encouragement for the believers and then the unbelievers. So believer, the, the fact that Peter was clearly forgiven by Jesus and given these new responsibilities, apostleship, building the church on his confession and on his preaching, that Jesus is instilling all this despite his denial of Jesus, man, it gives us hope. It gives us believers hope today that feel like, if you're like me, you feel like, man, you've denied Jesus daily. We disappoint him. We've, we've done things that don't honor him and glorify him. And perhaps even we've done some things that it's really hard to imagine that Jesus can just forgive it, that God can just forgive it. And the fact is right here that with Peter, we get a beautiful picture of the gospel and just how wonderful it is. You see, Peter wasn't judged. Christian, listen here. Peter was not judged for his record. If Peter was judged according to his record, he would have failed. He would have never been trusted again with anything. Peter, all I ask is that you just be faithful. And you denied me three times. And I told you you would. And you, and you didn't even fight it. You just went right along with it. Like you, you denied me three times after telling me that it would be over your dead body that you would ever deny me even one time. Far be it from thee, Lord. Right? King James. All right, that's how I had it memorized. All right, and so you, you've denied me. Why should I ever trust you with anything? And that would be just. I mean, Peter was given responsibility, and he failed three times. Denies him. I have nothing to do with this man. On his own record, fail. Rather than Peter being judged by his own record and based upon his own effort, he was judged based upon the record of Jesus Christ. Some of the good news found in the gospel is that Jesus' record is perfect, spotless, sinless, always without error, never a sinful thought, much less a sinful action, holy, blameless, free of guilt, free of shame. And all this, by the way, is required to be in perfect relationship, restored relationship with Jesus, with God the Father. Jesus was these things, and it was on the cross where this perfect record was granted to all those who believe. Jesus took our record and the penalty for having such a horrible, sinful record and owned up for it all. He took it on himself as our substitute. The Bible calls him bearing the wrath of God as him being the propitiation of our sin, the wrath absorber. It's like a sponge that was created just to receive the wrath of God, and that cup of wrath was poured out towards Jesus on the cross, and he soaked up every drop. Now Jesus simply calls for our repentance and our love and our devotion. Behind all the Christian's life must be this basic love for Jesus that's in response to being shown love by him. Yet practically, if we're really honest, it shouldn't take much to be honest around here, Every day we deny Jesus and we live as if he does not exist and we sin. 
We live as if Jesus isn't who he says that he is. But we have great hope here that the work of Jesus on our behalf for us allows us to live boldly for him, regardless of how perfect or forgiven you may feel. It's something that you don't necessarily feel. It's something that you have to know and that you preach to yourself over and over and over and over and over. I'm not identified by my sin. I'm not identified by my sin. Jesus died for this sin. I'm not to carry shame. I'm to believe this so much to its core that I no longer experience guilt or shame. And then I turn from this and I look to Jesus, the one who bore my shame, who bore my condemnation, who bore the penalty for my sin, who lived the perfect life for me, who died as my substitute. That's where I'm identified. I'm no longer identified in my sin. I'm free to live. I'm free to get up, not like a nervous seventh grade boy in a batter's box seeing the first 85 mile hour fastball come across the plate, right? No, you get up there and, hey, man, you can swing away the Christian life because of what Christ has done for us. Man, close your eyes if you want. Just, man, swing as hard as you can. Because every time, because of Christ, it's a home run. Every time. Get up and give it a great effort. Swing away. Have fun because of what Christ has done for you. When believers sin, there's generally two directions that our souls tend to drift. We're prone to drift towards the voice of the enemy, and we're prone to, or we're prone to drift towards the voice of the gospel. The voice of the enemy. You don't love Jesus. Jesus doesn't love you. How could God love you after that? This is the voice of the enemy. How can you live this way? You're such a hypocrite. Well, you've gone and done it again, and you've messed up big time again. God's, God's mad. Look at how dirty you are. You're dirty, and you might as well just stay this way for a while. You dare not go to church. You dare not read the Bible and pray. You should be better off just waiting for God to cool off a little bit. He's really, really mad. What a disappointment you are. After all that Jesus did for you, you're going to live like this? Look at yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but as Pastor Jacob and I were unpacking this, man, this is the voice that we both hear. I don't know if that hits you guys, but this right here, man, that is identifying, almost hitting record when I sin. Yet the voice of the gospel, right? The voice of the gospel says, Jesus loves you. Jesus is crazy about you. Even in the darkest, dirtiest, most secret sin that you fall into. The sin that if someone found out, you know they would not like you. They would not invite you over anymore. They would begin to distance themselves from you. So certainly God has. The gospel says he loves you even there, right? Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that was required for you to live in order for you to experience peace and grace and forgiveness. Jesus isn't shocked by your sin. Jesus isn't surprised by your sin. Jesus came to earth on a mission to live perfect because he knows your sin. He came to die on the cross knowing your sin, past, present, and future, and has taken care of it. 
You are now identified by his adoptive work and the transformation of your life and soul, not your sin. You are not your sin. You are the perfection of God himself in the form of Jesus Christ so that when God looks out at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. And he's like, that's my beloved. That's, oh, I'm so pleased. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, I know it's hard to believe. It's, it is that someone can love you that much. You've gone and done it now. This is still the voice of the gospel. You've gone and done it now. Again, big time, blew it. And the Holy Spirit lifts your eyes off of yourself and your sin and onto Jesus. And he carefully leads you to repentance. He's so tender. God is not mad. In fact, he can't wipe the smile off his face when he looks at you. You're not dirty. You've been washed whiter than new fallen snow. Now go gather with the redeemed of the church and celebrate Jesus because he's changed your situation. Go read your Bible and see who he is and see what he's done and see who you are as a result of who he is and what he's done for you. Pray and celebrate him and, and seek his face and his purposes for your life. Go experience what it's like to live free because of radical grace. You're not a disappointment. And matter of fact, you've been adopted and you're now cherished. And there is no more shame or condemnation or guilt. And understanding this love and grace from God is what fuels and informs our mission. Much like Peter. Hear him say, I love you. Now follow me. Let's live a life together on mission for the Father's glory. This is the voice that you must hear and you must preach over and over and over to yourself. Every day, every day, every day, every moment of every day, every second living this way. Understanding this grace more fully should not create a complacency in your sin or empower a more sinful lifestyle. You're not understanding it if you see this as the ability just to keep on sinning and sinning all the more. That's not understanding this grace. That's very cheap grace. Understanding more fully the grace from God through Christ creates a deep-seated love that motivates and fuels the believer's obedience and pursuit and abiding desire towards God. Knowing how much you've been crazy forgiven, it should draw you to know the one who's changed your life and your future. Going back here with Peter, him being restored by Jesus is Peter being recommissioned for the mission of Jesus. May us Christians, may we be about the mission of Jesus as well. You see, it's understanding this grace that sends us and propels us on mission, on the mission of Jesus. God's strategy to build the church started when he was restoring Peter and sending him and the other believers with Peter on mission, taking the good news of Jesus to the lost. In the same way today, God's strategy for continuing to build his church and to save sinners, he's saving you and sending you on a mission of taking this good news of Jesus to the lost. As it started with Peter, so it is with you. This is what Nashville needs. At your job, at your school, in your dorm, with your neighbors, at the gym, in the coffee shop, loving and serving the needy and the hurting. Essentially, it's pursuing friendships with these people who are searching for the peace and the grace and the forgiveness that you've tasted of in Christ. You're inviting them into your lives. You're sharing life on life with them. 
You're inviting them into your home so that they can practically see what it's like to be loved without a selfish motive of getting something from them, getting close enough to where you can put them on your resume, right? It's tiring. Man, Nashville doesn't need that. They just need this selfless love from Jesus. And when you're, when you're tapping into this grace of Jesus Christ and you're, you're being identified by him and not your sin, you can freely love others well. But it's when we forget our identity that we have to have these friendships to make us feel legitimate. The gospel says you need nothing more to feel legitimate except understanding what Jesus has done for you. Now you can freely love people. Otherwise, it's always this leverage to get something back from them as you're loving them. That's, that's dirty. That's heavy. Their shoulders can't sustain that. Jesus can, and that's what he wants to do. In order for us to live this life on mission, Christians here, we must hear Jesus say, follow me. In other words, live no longer only for yourself and your stuff, but follow me. Live as I've lived, life on mission, living on mission, seeing yourself as a sent missionary, living each second on purpose, for a purpose, making much of Jesus. Love the mission and the ministry and the church, but understand that this love for this mission and the motivation for this ministry and being sent as a missionary, this passion and motivation must flow from love for Jesus. That's why he looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Yes, now go care for, intend, and make much of, right? The source has to have, your motivation has to find its source in the love of God, of him sending his son to live with us, to live for us, and to die as us. Believer, I pray that you're encouraged by this. I know I'm the only one sweating, okay? But it happens, all right? This denim's a little thick, okay? It's not an Under Armour if you haven't noticed. It doesn't really breathe, all right? So that's encouragement for the believer, okay? Now, for the unbeliever, for those who are skeptical, perhaps seekers, perhaps from other faiths that are here with us today, you, a lot of you maybe are resistant to a lot of this and, and skeptical and keeping Jesus at arm's distance, and you don't even know how you found yourself in a church this morning because you promised your whole life you would never be back in a place like this, right? So those who are like this in this room, I've got an encouraging word for you. I want you to see something here with Peter, okay? This is very, I think this is very significant, Jesus is reinstating and reaffirming and rebuilding Peter, who he called earlier the rock. But notice in verse 15, he must start with where he is right now. You see what he calls him? Look, you see it? Anybody? Starts with an S. Simon. He calls him Simon. Not Peter, the rock, the one on whom I'm going to build my church. But Simon, the fisherman, until this rebuilding has been done by Jesus for Peter, Peter is not ready to be a follower of Jesus. The barrier of failure and sin has not yet been removed. That's what he's working with him through here. So here's how it should impact those who do not yet believe on Jesus, okay? Hear me carefully. Before Jesus can be followed and served... The sin in your lives has to be addressed. You can't just ignore it and hang out in Christian community and just kind of drift towards being a moralist 
and illegalists and looking like people in the church and doing those things that they do, your sin is still an offense and your sin is still, still is an issue and it has to be dealt with. You see, a relationship with Jesus begins when we are in his presence and you are face to face with your sin, the sin that has destroyed your friendship and relationship with God. Your sin is ultimately against God, the creator of the universe, your creator. The sin against God has ruined any chance of any restoration and forgiveness ever. Your sin has destroyed that. There is no hope. But that's the good news of Jesus. Jesus entered a hopeless situation. He came into our world and he came to restore and rebuild your broken relationship with his father that was otherwise impossible to experience. Now, no matter how desperate your failure or how deep-seated your shame is, Jesus can and will forgive you and then use you for his purposes. And you will experience fulfillment like you've never thought possible. Failure is never final with God because of Jesus. Author Rita Snowden says this, You ask me what forgiveness means? It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him most. Did you get that? You ask me what forgiveness means. It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him most. So here's how I'm wrapping this up. Here's the point. Simon, on his own, will always be Simon. He has no capacity on his own to rise beyond this. Yet Simon was redefined and made into a new creation and made alive and newly identified as Peter. He was changed by Jesus. Simon trusting in Jesus is now Peter the rock from whose witness and preaching and leadership in the church will see its foundation built. And Jesus wants you to experience a shame-free, grace-filled life with God and to use you in incredible ways from this day forward. All that he asks of you is that you repent and turn to him, believing him. All through, this is, next week is our final sermon in John. It'll be 66 weeks that we've spent with the beloved disciple and over and over and over and over and over again, you see through this book, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What is it that you require us to do? Over and over and over again, Jesus replies, believe. Believe. He, in fact, when the Pharisees ask him, he said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And he says, if you want to be doing the works of God, do this. Believe. Believe that I am the Son of God who came to change your hopeless situation and to give you hope. Believe. So for those who are outside of Christ this morning, for those who have kept themselves at a safe distance, man, I pray that you see Jesus as gentle and kind and loving and as the one who came to humble himself to take care of you in this life and forevermore. That is so radically kind. He did this for you. And all he says is, believe me. My prayer has been that you would do that. That you would say, I don't have it all figured out, and I don't even really know all that I'm believing, but, 
But what you're talking about, I really, I'm, I'm interested in. I want to believe. Again, like I've said before, man, one of the most incredible prayers in all of Scripture is, I believe, I want to believe, but I have a lot of doubts. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? The dad who's seeing his son healed by Jesus. Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling. Oh, man, that's just like asking Jesus, come on, do your thing. I'm ready. You don't have to have it all figured out. He didn't say, go have it all figured out and come back. He said, just believe. Christian, let's preach this to ourselves over and over and over. You don't work your job to matter. (laughs) You work your job because you're a missionary, right? To tell other people that Jesus is the one who identifies them and makes them matter. And that that's where their hope and their identity comes from. You preach that to yourself over and over and over and over and over and over. For those who are outside of Christ, believe him. That's it. That's what I got. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much for how radically obedient and gracious and kind that you were. Lord, be with us now as we respond, as we reflect, as we pray. Lord, help us not just merely move on to the next thing. Lord, help us consider these things. Lord, would you encourage the believers to press more and more into their newfound identity in you and what you've done for them and how you have labeled them because of who you are. Lord, would you be with those who are outside of yourself and who, Lord, have yet to believe you. Would you give them the power and and the eyes and the ears, the heart to, to see, feel, and hear who you really are? And would they run to you? Would they say, yes, I don't even know what this means, but I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to know more. Lord, do this. Do this for them. In Christ's name, amen.